Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Chris Derides. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mark. You're missing good, someone uh, today. Yeah, Marissa's not feeling well. I think half the world's not feeling well. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of a lot of people out there not feeling so good. Um, but uh, you're 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 fine, right? You're doing okay. Yeah, I, I went. Uh, I was down for Thanksgiving, right? So you know. Oh, that's right. I forgot so, that. Yeah, I, I paid my dues. I think <laughs> uh, somehow I I've missed it uh, so far, but uh, I don't know. Good we'll see you. how this goes. Yeah, been a little bit lucky. Uh, I did make 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 excuse me make my way down to Florida. I, I did the uh, record record time. You want to guess how long it took me to get from um, the suburbs of Philly down to Vero Beach in a car? Uh, 16, Sixteen hours. Sixteen hours. Yeah, good guess. Fifteen record record time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. No. Uh, no, yeah, stops. no traffic. South Carolina wasn't the problem. It typically is. It was, you know, smooth sailing and good weather and. We had four stops along the way. You'd be proud of me. So, uh, and I listened to a bunch of podcasts. I listened to uh, our podcast. I listened to a couple others. I uh, uh, listened to some tunes. It was good. Really enjoyed. I could be. I tell. I think I've said this before. I think I could easily be a truck driver. No problem. Easily. <laughs> yeah. You didn't stop for oranges. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I actually didn't see any oranges. Yeah, that's good. No, good. no pecans in. Uh... No pecans. Yeah. No. Just straight through. We made it all the way through. Right. And we've got a guest, John Tuig. John, good to see you, man. Mark, Chris, thank you for having me back. It's great to be here. Always and enjoy the uh, the banter. Yeah, and I understand you haven't been able to dodge the the uh, the illness, but uh, whatever it is, it has worked its way it through Memphis. Yeah, it, it's made it's, its way through the whole lone desk. It uh, started with the mothers with young children. It's worked its way up through the adults, uh, and I think uh, one by one, we've all fallen prey to it. So. Um, I hope you have continued success in in dodging whatever it is. Well, I but, plan to uh, hole up here in Florida for a while. <laughs> they were the sunshine. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you sound a little under the weather, but so we'll keep this short. But really appreciate you coming on. And you, we were just chatting. You were on back in May, kind of in the in me, uh, pretty close to the wake in the wake of the SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank uh, crisis. And uh, so it's good to have you back here. Maybe, maybe you could just spend a, a second and a minute and just give us a sense of, of you and uh, w- what you do for a living. Sure. Yeah. Uh, head whole loan trader here at Raymond James on the uh, on the loan desk. Team of about 30 of us. And we cover more of the middle markets. Think of those institutions that are kind of $75 billion and down, mostly depositories, banks, credit unions. So in that conversation we had last May when we were kind of in the throes of the crisis. And, and you had even questioned if we were going to call it a crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that was a fair statement to call what happened with SVB and Signature. And at the time, First Republic hadn't gone down. But, you know, those names and, and those depositories that have been had a really interesting 2023, I think a lot of us are excited to move into to 2024. But the trading of, of raw mortgages, raw commercial real estate loans, raw automobiles, no QCIPs, just raw credits, and what might live on a bank or a credit union's balance sheet. Usually prime, usually performing, although I suspect we may see some sub-performing loans kind of sneak into uh, our, our trading volumes going into 2024. But um, that's a little bit about the loan desk. Yeah. And I, I saw you're also president of Raymond James Mortgage Company. What's that all about? Mortgage Company, yep. Yeah, the mortgage yeah. company is a sub of the parent and the holding company, uh, which huh. is you know part of just the corporate structure and how we report up okay. into it. 
it's um, you know uh, exciting in, in title, but in, in practice, it's no different than just being a, a sub and holding co of the uh, of the overall entity. So the way I think about what you do is you're an intermediary between financial institutions uh, and you intermediate loans, uh, whole loans, uh, anything from an auto loan to you do see commercial industrial loans and commercial real estate. Okay. If you ever watch the big short, that's a movie that's a little too real for me. I get flashbacks (laughs) um, because we had in the time and back in 2008, we were delivering a lot of loans into Fannie and Freddie. And, um, you know, that, that was a very interesting time to watch, but having to re-underwrite all of the loans, having to understand the credit, when you did your mortgage and you signed all of those documents, we re-review all of those documents, wedding signatures, pieces of paper. It's, it's, it's not the bond, it's the underlying FICO score, appraisal, note, title, deed, mortgage, assignment, and making sure it's all kind of properly done, documented. Oh, uh, we'll I do something so similar do... for autos, do something similar for commercial real estate and, and, you know, good old fashioned credit officers out there kind of nodding mm. their heads, loan officers out there kind of nodding their heads. We're, we're very much in their world. You, you don't re-underwrite because the loan has been made, but you just make sure all the information's right so that the, 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 the institution that comes along and wants to buy it is, feels confident that they know what right. they're buying. Correct. Yeah, I mean, again, they, they think they're buying a fully documented, fully performing loan that hasn't missed a payment. It doesn't have something in the underwriting process that was done incorrectly or something that might be missing that might make it a scratch and dent loan, which would trade mm-hmm. obviously at a lower price than a than a full doc or fully performing loan. Uh, this may be an unfair question, but do you have like in a sense in a typical year, like the volume of, of trading that goes on, like what, how much in terms of dollars outstanding, how much moves from one institution to another institution? And I know it can fluctuate a lot in a given in a year, but in a typical year. I, I wish I knew the answer to this because I get it asked often. I mean, league tables, huh. you'll see it for MA, you'll see it for muni yeah. underwriting. But in, in loan land, since it's not a QSIP and it's not easily tracked, I mean, these are still done with mm. contracts, like negotiated right. documents between one another. Right. Um, it, there, there are no there are no league tables to that effect. I can speak to how our desk has performed and you look at 2022, seeing some 15 billion traded, some 470 transactions done between us. 2023, those numbers are down. Uh, We'll Mm. finish up our last transaction today. It'll probably be closer to 5 billion uh, transacted. So uh, Mm. a pretty considerable drop in Mm. in our transactions, uh, largely driven by interest rates. Um, fully performing loans, picking on 30-year fixed rates. As an example, we went from 3.5% coupons in 22 to 7.5% coupons in, in 23. That means that loan is worth 75 cents on the dollar, 80 cents on the dollar. That's just interest rate risk. Mm. Uh, has nothing to do with the credit or the performance alone, but that doesn't necessarily mean a, a selling institution wants to take a, a 25-point cut in price purely because the coupon has dropped. So they, they elect to hold on to that loan and carry the interest rate risk on their balance sheet, which was a talking point coming right out of SVB and all of the issues with balance sheet management. Um, So trading volume is definitely down. Uh, And depending upon the product, it was down heavily for mortgage. It was up a lot for autos. It was up a lot Hmm. for HELOCs. um, Flat. Home equity lines. Yeah. Home equity had a wonderful, Mm -hmm. wonderful year. Uh, mm-hmm. For HELOCs this year, so did so did auto loan trading. Um, commercial was largely flat to down slightly. Um, 
but we didn't really see a lot of the troubled loans that we thought we might see in 23. That seems to have been pushed off and into 2024. Oh, so the real weakness in, in the volumes was in the residential mortgage. mortgage. Oh, hard, okay. hard, hard perfect year. Sense. Our worst year yeah. in a decade uh, right. in trading mortgages, just a, a, a really down year for mortgage. Right. And as you say, it goes to kind of the lock-in. The uh, existing homeowners with mortgages, the average coupon or the, the average mortgage rate is like 3.5%. So here we are sitting at six and a half to seven. doesn't make any economic sense to move. Therefore, there's right. no there's no loans to trade. Yeah, and, okay. and six and a half is a gift. I mean, if you remember just two months ago, we were talking yeah. about 8% mortgages, right? So I'll take your right. six and a half all day long. The the 8% was just the, you know, the gut punch. Yeah. So yep. there were a lot of folks well, that- had FOMO and and didn't and thought they were going to get their three and a quarter, three and a half back. We just we never made it all the way back down to that level. Six, six and a half sounds a whole lot better than eight. Well, what I want to do is um, go almost product line, product by product, loan product by loan product, and get a sense of what's going on in your your view of, of where we are and where we're headed. Uh, and we'll play the statistics game along the way. You're going to play, right? I mean, absolutely. You, yeah, we're missing Marissa, so she's that makes this more difficult because she always leads the way, but uh, we'll, we'll make do. But before we do that, let's uh, stay big picture. And uh, when we did chat last time in May, of course, there was still a lot of concern, reasonable, reasonable amount of concern about the fallout from the failure of Silicon Valley bank, signature bank, um, uh, first Republic, I think it might've failed yet by gone then. down, but it was starting to teeter. It was starting to teeter, right? Yep. So, what do you think? Uh, how do you think the system, the banking system, navigated through all that? And are you seeing any fallout out there as a result of uh, we know what happened? But we we haven't seen that many other bank failures. Certainly not anything anywhere near. Have we seen any? I didn't. Signature. There's been a couple guys. of tiny ones, yeah. Tiny ones, okay. And, and okay. Tiny ones taken out for you know other reasons outside of the. Hmm. The systematic banking issue, but uh, when we when we chatted back in May, we were all a little gun shy to make the statement that we were free and clear of this. But we had all kind of nodded our heads, saying that the systems seemed sound, and I think that's proven to be true. I think that uh, that forecast has has proven to be right, and that those specific instances of those four names that that did fail um, were were driven more by unique systems unique situations in that institution svb mm-hmm. more of a venture capital shop uh, we talked about it last time somebody yelled fire in the theater and deposits ran out the door mm-hmm. and 42 billion dollars later bye-bye first republic is is a real tragedy it's a great customer ours, a, a wonderful institution probably yeah. the best mortgage uh, uh prime credit mortgage originator in the country for jumbo loans I just couldn't raise capital fast enough and and was uh, similar to SVB and in, in in a bit of a run on the bank, despite the industry's best efforts to recapitalize it. Uh, we only just have really seen the end of Signature Bank's uh, FDIC loan sale. That was an interesting one to kind of watch as it took them so long to to break those four different portfolios into pieces and liquidate those troubled commercial loans largely surrounding the, the New York City area. So we're still- Were you part of that, the, John? Were you part of did that? Did not bid it, but, yeah. but saw a number of the bids, talked to a number of the yep. bidders. It was it was interesting to kind of watch and get some of the feedback as to maybe some of the disorganization of that particular process. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, we had the one crypto bank and crypto was crypto. I mean, that was uh, Silvergate, uh, right? Silvergate. Silvergate. Yeah. That again yeah. was a unique situation, but by and large, we didn't see the deposit outflows. There was that minute yeah. when we thought everybody was going to be making a run on the bank. Didn't really happen. Deposits have been weaker, but, um, it hasn't been a flood. Um, we haven't seen lines for people looking for their money. Um, it's, it's largely been, uh, as expected. It's been ordered. Yeah. Well, of course, I, I, in, I'm curious if you concur, but a big reason why was the response, the government response, right? The FDIC said, hey, to the depositors, whether you're insured or uninsured, we got your back. Yep. And that went a long way. And then, of course, the Federal Reserve stepped up and established the uh, bank term funding program to allow banks to borrow against their security holdings at par. Of course, the securities were worth are worth a lot less in the higher rate environment, but they could borrow at par to gain the liquidity that they needed. One thing I have noticed, I think you pointed this, may pointed this out to, to me in the, our email exchange prior to this, that yeah. the bank term funding program seems to be creeping up. It was kind of stuck around $100 billion for a long time. And I did go back and look. Last week, it was $131 billion. Now, that's not I don't know that that's significant in the grand scheme of things, but it's moving up. Do you read anything into that or is that just- I, It was part of our kind of pre-call and, and as we were yeah. talking about, hey, what are we going to chat about on this call? Yeah. I, I did go back and look. It is. It has ticked up. It is yeah. an interesting statistic. It is cheap funding at the moment uh, compared to maybe other sources. Uh, I did also see an announcement kind of hunting for this. Are they going to renew it again next year? And there was talk mm. of them not- Mm. renewing the program next year. So I know that's also kind of on a lot of people's lips. Um, mm. So it, I, I think that was a wildly successful new program. I think a lot of folks were a little nervous at the onset that it could be TARP 2.0. If you're a student of 2008, TARP kind of had of a, a bit of a negative slant. If you had to take TARP, you weren't a going concern and that could be the kiss of death. Mm-hmm. That hasn't turned out to be the case this time around. And, and this program, you know, set to, to, as you said, give them the relief of the haircut they might experience if they go to the discount window or federal home. Mm-hmm. Bank. It has mm-hmm. been interesting to watch some of the critiques the federal home home bank has taken this no. year on, oh, on, you, on a lender of last revort. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, the idea that some of these troubled banks tapped them and tapped them pretty hard uh, as, as they were starting to crash and, and the view that the federal home home bank could be uh, misconstrued as a lender of last resort. I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting topic. Yeah. Well, is that, uh, the, which I, I know is near and dear. I love. I want because I actually read I a couple see the grin on, on your face. Just yeah. Knowing, no, I, I know I'm you and Lori from the Orbit Institute but, are uh, let, are big let's on this come topic back. too. Yeah. Okay. Let's come back to that though, because I want to complete kind of the conversation around sure. the fallout from SBB yeah. and Signature and First Republic. Uh, Chris, have you noticed any? What would you say the fallout has been? Uh, I mean, we've seen it in underwriting, I guess, right? Yeah. Because senior loan officer survey from the Fed says that banks have tightened their underwriting, maybe a little bit in loan growth. I mean, it feels like loan growth has slowed since March, yeah. but I don't know. What, have you have you noticed anything, Chris? No, I would have pointed out the underwriting. The Although underwriting. even there, you're right. I mean, we we. Banks were already un- tightening their underwriting even before the crisis, yeah. right? And pretty aggressively at the end of 2022. So I don't know if the it's pretty incremental, I would say, in terms of the additional fallout. And Mark, and in that last chat, 
we, we, sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to step on you. Um, we did talk about kind of the difference between liquidity and credit. And mm. at the beginning mm. of the year, I hadn't felt the tightening of underwriting, Chris, that you're alluding to. I did feel the tightening of liquidity, uh, folks running out of cash to kind of make more loans. I have since felt the tightening in credit and the tightening in underwriting and the boosting of provisions to kind of prepare for whatever rainy day may or may not be coming. So that that was definitely a second half theme uh, for me of 23. Yeah. The other thing that I've been surprised, uh, generally I've been surprised how well we've navigated through the, the, uh, the, the fallout from the, from the, from the crisis that really has been very much on the margin, at least so far. And the other evidence of that is loan quality. Now I know it's early days and it takes time for problems to materialize and show up in the data, but I was just looking at, and I might give away my statistic, darn, I shouldn't have brought this up, but uh, I was looking at uh, delinquency rates on all commercial bank loans and leases. And it's, you know, we have data through the third quarter of 2023 it's up a little bit, but my gosh, it's really low by historical standards. You know, so yeah, I think consumer loans is the only uh, kind of product line where we've seen some normalization back to pre-pandemic. Everywhere else, CNI, commercial industrial, commercial real estate, multifamily, residential mortgage, we still see very low delinquency. Nothing, nothing of any consequence in terms of credit condition. Do you, do you sense that too in your? Uh, it- John? In my chats, I mean, it's it's very industry specific. So, uh-huh. you know, multifamily versus office versus retail versus industrial versus whatnot. What we're seeing more of is, is particularly in office, um, maturity defaults. So maturity default, meaning that it's time for that coupon to adjust up or it's time for that loan to be renewed. And the, the loan can't afford the payment at the adjust up to whatever that new level is. It's able to continue to make the existing payment that it's making. Uh, it's not able to refinance uh, due to the absence of valuations, uh, due to the absence of transactions that are kind of happening out there for folks to kind of triangulate what is this building worth still. But it's still able to make its existing cash flows. Um, and to me, that's good news is that, okay, I get it. That whatever particular cap rate it was originated in in 2017 or 2018, it's able to kind of limp along. Uh, the question is, if we're kind of prolonged here for a while, uh, when does that turn into I can't make that payment anymore? That that's you know some of the themes that we're starting to kind of see and watch and mm. and take a peek at. Yeah, which suggests this, we are going to see some. Cre- oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. I was going to ask. So, is this uh, extend and pretend, or we're just uh... stay and pray, extend and pretend, survive until twenty five? Yeah. You know, pick your pick your cute catchphrase, but uh, falling rates which we've all kind of enjoyed here in the last month uh, since the last Fed meeting, last couple of weeks, uh, certainly helps that uh, that particular problem. Right, right. Yeah, so uh, one theory I've heard as to why the banking crisis hasn't, and maybe I heard it on this podcast, I can't remember. We, I mean, we were talking about this last week or the week before with uh, one of the other guests. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, the fallout may have been less significant than than feared was that the non-bank part of the financial system didn't skip a beat you know private credit leverage lending you know other sources of capital non-bank sources of capital came in 
and continue to provide the credit needed to uh, you know keep everything moving forward, uh, giving consumers and businesses what they need to spend and invest and keep the economy moving forward. Does that resonate at all? Does that, John, does that resonate with you? It was something I wrote about not too long ago. We, we could go down a deep rabbit hole on this, Mark, but I think yeah. on the last time we recorded with SVB, I think all of that private credit market was kind of licking their lips and they were going, Ooh, it's finally here. The banking crisis that I've raised all this money for yep. and the yield that I've been so desperate to have uh, for, you know, since the beginning of COVID, it, now is my moment. Uh, and then what we just described didn't come to pass and and the banking system was largely sound and, and we've made it. So I, I think probably in that moment, just post SVB spreads for deals were at their widest we've likely seen. And now we sit in a very interesting position where it does appear uh, that a soft landing could be in the cards. It does appear that calamity is going to pass us by. It does appear that we've gotten to the top of the rate cycle and, and directionally, at least it's going to be down and not up. And we might be able to kind of continue to limp through that. So if there was a seller of loans and they did have an office complex that they knew was a loser and they knew was never going to get back to what it needed to be. And they owned it. They'd marked it down to 80 cents on the dollar. Who would need to change their price expectations? Right now, there's a gap between the bid mm. and the ask, between that seller and that buyer. And mm. let's just say the seller's at 80 and the buyer's at 70. Is it the buyer that has to come up to the seller in pricing to kind of level set their expectations? Or is it the buyer that needs to come down to the seller and reducing their price uh, to make the transaction work? Post SVB, I would have told you the seller has to come down to the buyer. Today, I would tell you, I believe the buyer has to come up to the seller in hmm. price or yield to make a transaction work. And that's a little bit more of that rosy forecast. That's a little bit of uh, a lot of money on the sidelines, ready to be put to work, but just can't quite find the deal that's perfect uh, for them. And so they're having to kind of, you know, grow up to uh, the, the the seller's wishes at the moment. A lot of strategic oh. transactions happening, not a lot of forced sellers in the market right hmm. now. That That's very encouraging then. That sounds very encouraging, so. right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like the worst of the kind of the downdraft in prices is at hand if it's not already there. I, I, I suppose these transactions will consummate at a lower price. So maybe it starts to show up, but kind of the shadow price declines or, I mean, What's that kind of theoretical? If you had to actually transact, those price declines are are over. Uh, you'll see some actual price declines when the the, the deals consummate, but uh, the worst of the uh, of the declines are are at hand. Assuming this persists, assuming the unemployment yeah, rate doesn't right. blow out, which we had a yeah. phenomenal jobs number the other day, right. I, I believe your word was giddy. Uh, based on your last, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was my word. Yeah, definitely that was, that was doing a victory lap on your last podcast for that one. That's for sure a well-deserved victory lap well, on that particular one. Um, but I mean, thank assuming you. the economy holds, um, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, good, Chris. It, it, just anything else you want to add there? Any pushback? I mean, that feels pretty good, right? I mean, any, it does feel good. Any, yeah. Which Too makes good? me nervous. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know. Okay. I, I worry that some of the price discovery is yet out there, right? And maybe that's very specific sectorial, like office. Uh, I still think there's more script to be written when it comes to office prices, for example. And I 
transaction volumes are extremely low. I, you know, I don't know. Let's let's see. Let's see how it goes. If rates yeah. do come in, right? Certainly, we get a second wind here that could help things. But uh, I'd be a little cautious in some of the sectors, certainly. Right. Okay. Okay. So big picture, bottom line, we navigated through the fallout of SVB reasonably graceful, gracefully. Here we are today. The banking system, the financial system, you know, seems like it's in a pretty good spot. Certainly enough to keep credit flowing to the degree necessary to keep the economy moving forward. Everyone agree with that statement? John, you agree with that? Yep. Yeah, Chris? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Before we play the game though, let's go back to the Federal Home Loan Bank. I so why are you so focused on the Federal Home Loan Bank? I I how did what's the nexus with between the Federal well, Home Loan Bank mean, and your world? Yeah, I mean, think of mortgages. They'll pledge uh-huh. that mortgage as oh, collateral okay. at the Federal right. Home Loan Bank. So it's a, right. I mean, to me, when this first came out, I wasn't a fan of picking on the Federal Home Loan Bank. I think they have a very vital purpose that they serve in the plumbing that is the pledging of assets and the, you know, the receiving of the cost of funds. And if more did that, they, they'd have kind of more of a natural hedge on their margins. Not everyone does this, but those that do kind of have a real good feel for what their, their cost of funds could be and what margins they can earn on that particular asset. But I, I took some exception at the onset to people saying that this is a lender of last resort and, and certainly not the intent of the federal home loan bank, certainly back in its creation. And, Maybe it's perverted form today. I mean, everybody in those last few gasps of air for institutions like uh, SVB and and uh, First Republic, they were searching and hunting for any source of liquidity they could pr- certainly make. We should maybe have that particular conversation. But in the day-to-day workings, I mean, the Federal Home Loan Bank serves a, a pretty vital uh, process in the banking system, my humble opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm I'm totally with you. I think we're kind of in the minority, uh, John. I mean, it feels like everyone's ganging up on the just so uh, just to make sure everyone out there understands. The Federal Home Loan Banks are GSEs, uh, just like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, uh, government-sponsored enterprises. So they have a, a in the case of the GS uh, Federal Home Loan Banks, an implicit backstop from the federal government. And when I say implicit, it's not written somewhere, but it's everyone believes it to be true. And I think they actually do have a line of credit into the treasury. So they're they're backstopped. Therefore they can borrow at a lower rate, you know, close to the treasury rate, and take that and provide uh, those funds to banks that need that liquidity, need those funds in times of stress, particularly in times of stress. And in the good times, nobody borrows from them. It's not advantageous. Does deposits are generally a much better source of Funding, uh, but in in times when the system's under stress, people, depositors are leaving. The banks need the, the the funds. They turn to the Federal Home Loan Bank, and it's very high quality lending in the sense that the Federal Home Loan Banks take a lot of collateral, mostly mortgage loans, but it can be small business loans, commercial real estate loans, and use that as a, a basis for making those loans to those institutions. They are not a regulator. They do not. They're not safety and soundness. That's that's Federal Reserve and FDIC. That's not OCC. That's not the uh, their you know part of what they do. They rely on the safety and soundness regulators to do their job. And if the safety and soundness regulator says, "Hey, SVB is okay to let is fine," then they they under the terms agreed upon, they will lend and provide funding to those institutions. So, 
my sense is that, and I totally agree with you, that when the federal home loan banks were put on the planet back in the 30s, they had two missions. One was to help support the U.S. mortgage market and housing market. They take loans as collateral to provide funds to the banks, the more residential mortgage loans. But the other, which has become much more critical, is uh, providing liquidity to a stressed banking system, and uh, they can enter. They can enter in and provide that liquidity much faster than the Federal Reserve Board, which ultimately is the lender of last resort through the discount window or other means. I view them as the lender, the first responder. They're the first responder of liquidity when banks get into trouble, and so I I find it almost. I get very nervous when people suggest big changes to the system because i have in my mind this image that you know the financial system is this very uh, complex hard to understand set of plumbing to, uh, particularly when it comes to liquidity and no one really <laughs> understands what happens if they take you know that pipe over here and move it over to this part of the system whether the the whether the water is going to flow or not or whether it's all going to you know spill out and you know flood uh, you know flood the economy so i think it's really you, you know i'm sure there's things that can be done to make this the system work better and more effectively and, and i think some of the ideas that have been put forward are pretty good but you have to be pretty careful uh in in playing around with that plumbing completely agree Certainly okay. wouldn't recommend right. any kind of a wholesale change to it and uh, have heard from many of our clients as well saying, you know, whoever, oh, yeah, I can imagine. however loudly we can be about this, let, let's stop bad, uh, bad changes from coming. Yeah. Chris, do, do, would you push back on any of that? Cause I'm just curious. I haven't really talked to you about this. Yeah. On the federal would. Index. You would? I would, I oh wouldn't, yeah. Okay. I wouldn't, I wouldn't push back on the, um, the fact that they are integral to the system today. Okay. I think that's an accident of history. I don't think, uh, if we were to design the system, you know, we would say, "Oh, we need a federal home loan bank system to make sure that the all the plumbing is flowing," as you put it. I think the Fed is certainly capable, or would be capable, of uh, accommodating that that role if if we were designed to design the system today. So I wouldn't like you. Would I wouldn't want that though. Them. Would you want that? I mean, would you want the safety and soundness regulator to also be the guy providing the liquidity up front? I'm not, but they I'm not do. so sure. Really? The Fed okay. does provide the you know the discount window, right? So they're that, that, in but, sense competing, right? But that's not the, the, no one turns to the discount window, you know, uh, at least not initially. I mean, even now, I don't know. I I, I didn't look, but what what's the discount window's outstanding? It's barely nothing, right? I mean, so because you have other op options, right? <laughs> I mean, that's always been the case, though. This this stigma and the uh, difficulty going to the discount window, you know. Very difficult. And it's also short, isn't it short-term money? I mean, as opposed to federal home loan banks, they provide short, but they also provide long-term money as well, liquidity. I suppose I suppose you could change it so the Fed could do it, but uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not sure what problem we're trying to solve here. What, well, that's, I guess that's, what, that's yeah, I guess, what, what the, are we trying to solve? If the issue is we're looking, it, they are a provider of that short-term liquidity in times of stress, which I thought was the one of the purposes you, you mentioned yeah. there, then I think the Fed is capable, right? Now they're in the in the present state. Are they as efficient as quick? Perhaps not, but I don't see any reason why we couldn't adjust that part of the system to be. The Fed couldn't uh, adjust its mechanism or organization be just as uh, effective. Here, here's just I, one sort of theory, uh, and that, and I'm not so sure you're you're right about it's an accidental 
you know, it was an accident when it was put. If I go, you go back and look at when the FHOBs were chartered, chartered, it felt like it was, it was about liquidity. Uh, the framers. Yeah, I thought, I think so. But, uh, but for home loan banks, right. For mortgages, right. It was all no, about, but the more, I think that, the that, that was just a vehicle a vessel because at that point in time, that's all the banks did. They, they really didn't do much, any, anything else. And that was the only thing on their balance sheet. So they said, okay, let's do that. And by the way, the housing market needs the help anyway. So I, I, you know, you may be right about that, but I'm, I, I'd say, I'm not so sure you're right about that. I think, you know, that, uh, I, I'd be very interested in a deeper dive into, you know, kind of the merits of that. But here's the other thing. It's like our yeah. next podcast discussion. Yeah. yeah. Here's the other thing. Get, I'm just going to throw this Lori out there. on from the Urban Institute and let's have a big old chat. Is she, she, uh, is she a critic? I believe of the she's a, thing? no, I think she's a big proponent too. find a couple of oh, critics. Okay. Then she can come critics on. Of and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, only kidding. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. No, but here's the other thing. You know, the federal home loan banks until recently were quiet. No one really, you know, kind of followed them, knew anything much about them, which you could say, well, that, that doesn't sound right. We want transparency. But when you get Uber transparency, like with the discount window, it doesn't work because like the discount window, if you go to the window, your name is going to be everywhere and there's a stigma attached to it. If you go to Federal Home Bank, that's just part of the business. Normal business, right? Normal I, business. I, yeah. I, I think the, the, the critique of were some of those last day practices and some of the the actions by certain people in you know certain posts uh, and 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 those final gasps for air? There were some question marks around. Should they have still been advancing when they knew this was an institution that may or may not be a going concern? Um, and it brings in the whole lender of last resort, but. They're sure take a review, obviously do a postmortem. We had a couple of very large bank failures this year. The Federal Home Loan Bank was obviously involved in parts of that. Could we could we tweak the system, not do away? Every system can obviously do better, uh, you know, and, and what improvements could we make to it? Yeah, totally. One suggestion is that for membership into the Federal Home Loan Bank system, I believe you have to have 10% of your assets in residential mortgages or qualifying securities you could and that's just for entry into the system into the membership once you're there that requirement goes away you yeah. you don't need that so silvergate i don't know what their balance sheet looked like when they failed but they may have had no mortgages on the balance sheet right. but the proposal would be say you, you have to you have to maintain to at least 10 percent right. forever and, and that makes sense to me i mean i so i'm not saying this the system can't be improved. I'm just saying we got to be really careful about uh, the, those reforms and make sure that you know we don't pull a pipe from someplace that it really matters without making sure that the water is going to flow, uh, you know, normally. Anyway, anyway, yeah, sir. Yeah. that uh, I, let's, let's, I I certainly agree with, but yeah, but but I I disagree that we shouldn't examine them. I mean, these no, are they're private should. corporations getting should. taxpayer yeah. subsidies, right? They, yeah. yeah, we definitely should. Yeah. Well, the other thing that makes people upset, and I get it, like the uh, uh, one of the federal home loan banks announced a dividend nine and a half percent. Okay, really? Come on now, <laughs> please. Now that's that was atypical. I mean, if you look over his over history, you know, because it goes up and down depending on circumstance. It's four or five percent ish, which okay, but nine and a half. I don't know. So you know, maybe the other one of the other proposals is instead of right now 10% of their net income has to go to affordable housing feels like that should be 
double that at least, you know, be, at least they don't pay taxes. So it should be, right. you know, close to the effect of corporate tax rate. I totally on board with that, you know, kind of idea, but, but anyway, let's play the game, the statistics game. And uh, the game is we each put forward a statistic. Uh, the rest of the group tries to figure that out through clues, deductive reasoning questions. Uh, and um, the best uh, stat is one that's not so hard. Uh, one, one that's not so easy. We get it immediately. One that's not so hard. We never get it. And if it's apropos to the topic at hand or it was recent, uh, all the better. So, Chris, I, I Marissa's not here, so I think I'm going to turn to you. Uh, you fall first. All right. So uh, it's a pretty light week for uh, economic statistics. Let's just put it put it out there. Light but, week for uh, everything. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, two numbers. Here we go. Three point eight one percent and three point eight six percent. Oh, geez. Um, one percent. A percentage? It is a percentage. Is it an interest rate? It is a rate, yes. Uh, 3.81 and 3.86. These are interest rates. Yes. Oh, it's the 10-year treasury yield. Yes. 3.81 is the 10-year treasury yield as of yesterday. And it's... And 3.86 is? Today? No. Oh, it's, it was, it's what, it was a year today. ago. It was, what it was a year ago. ago. Oh, oh is it gosh. really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So nothing happened this year, right? So you could have just <laughs> gone to sleep and woken up the next day and everything's the same, oh. right? Is that the idea? Yeah. Pretty, uh, huh. pretty tame year. Yeah. Yeah. Just to uh, yeah. emphasize really the volatility, year. right? Yeah. That's really yeah, good, well, yeah. What do you, what do you make of that? I mean, full circle. Anything? Uh, it, it's an interesting ride, right? That's an interesting uh, ride. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. if you go back when the 10 year was, it got as high as five, I believe, right? It did. It uh, got That's as right. high as 5%. There was so much hand wringing about lots of stuff, including deficits, debt, what that meant, you know, all the bond issuance. What happened to all that? I mean, does, does this mean that, that deficits, debt don't matter, or we're just premature to think that it, it is? It depends on who's who's in office, Mark. It, it, they matter when office. one party's in office, and they don't yeah. matter when the okay. other party's in office. Exactly. Both, parties, right. both parties do the same when it, when it comes to that. Politicians are politicians. So, I think so we're John, back you, to... Oh, sorry. You know, go ahead, John. I think we're go back to, uh, to debating the equilibrium, right, where we were previously. Yeah. Is it three and a half? Is it four? Remember this whole uh, debate? Right. Is it demographics that are going to keep it down? Is it technology? Is it the debt? Right. So I think we're back to this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Trying to discern what the equilibrium tenure is. Well, is it a global rate? Is it US rates? Uh, yeah. I think the lesson is if, given the volatility is no matter what's going on, don't change your forecast. <laughs> you know, it's going to come back, you know, sooner than you think. Uh, right. Cause 4%, we're back to, four, yep. you know, roughly That's where right. we've been 4%. Yeah, three, 385 as I stare at it right now. John, do you, if, if I asked you, what do you think the 10 year treasury yield is going to be a year from now? What would you say? A year from now? Yeah. We're, you're back um, on a year from now. We're having this conversation. What, what I think it's be down. Free? It'll be down. Uh, okay, oh. it'll be down. Uh, now, where I, I might disagree with um, the fact that we're going to have, I think the market's got six to seven cuts. Yeah, priced in. I, I think we're a little ahead of ourselves on that. Mm. I'm more in the the three camp, and I don't think it probably happens until June. I don't. I think March is a little too aggressive. Um, so I, I do think rates are are down just directionally um, over mm -hmm. the course of the year. Of course, the ten year would. Ref 
would, at least in theory, already incorporate. Assuming we get steepness, right? Assuming yeah. you're, you know. Okay. Okay. Very good. Okay. That was, that was pretty tricky on your part there, Chris. That was about Chris. Uh, well done. You gotta, yeah. You gotta pretty pretty. Here. John, do you want to go next? I do. I've got one for you. 4.83%. So that's an interest rate. It is. Okay. Uh, 4.83%. Is it uh, a rate on a certain product line? Um, it's a, it's a newly created product line. Ooh. In 2023. Is it the bank term funding program? Oh, it is. Okay. Or the bank term funding program at 4.83% compared to the discount window at five and a half. Ah, interesting. Back to our our pre-call chatter on why BTFP issuance may be a little higher. It does seem to be a, a cheaper source at the moment. Well, I, I, it's hard, a little bit difficult to gauge federal home loan bank advances. Those are the loans that the federal home loan banks make, uh, similar to the bank term funding program or the discount window. Uh, but it feels like that they've come in, right? The banks are using. Yeah, them. Chicago posts there. Oh, do they? They. Um... I'm quickly going to it. Forgive me here. 423 for 10 year money, 428 for oh, okay. uh two year money. Um, so it yeah, it definitely has come in quite a bit. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, oh, that's that's very cool. And uh, you mentioned that there's a debate about whether that will be renewed. Is that is that coming? Just saw the headline. March? I haven't. Yeah, yeah I haven't yeah. studied that. I saw the headline literally yesterday, as as you and I were kind of bantering over email. So I'm I'm super curious yeah. to see if they do renew it, if there's a need for, um, or the desire to uh, right. to renew it. Because I I do think we can say it's been a success. Yeah, I can't. It feels. I, I'm having a hard time thinking. It, as long as rates are as high as they are, that they don't renew it. Right. I mean, just to provide a safety valve, I would think. Uh, I would hope but, that they would telegraph that many, yeah. many months out in advance to to allow right. folks to look around for to adjust. Yeah, whatever liquidity. Turn to the federal home loan banks. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay, uh, I got one for you. Forty-eight hundred. S and P. Ah, very good. Yes, yes, indeed. It is the S&P 500. Yeah, that was good. You were very good. We quick. hit that. We were, I know we were know. flirting with it. We're yeah. at 4792 as we speak right oh, now. Oh, okay. Because I think we got, we were almost at 4800. Uh, yeah. And what's the record high? Like 47? Uh, we're, we're, I know we were real close to it. Yeah. Let, yeah. Me, let me pull that up on Bloomberg as we speak. Yeah. So we're very close to the all-time record high in the S&P 500, which the all-time record high as of this uh, point in time is still, I think, the last trading day of 2021 or the first trading day of 2022. Well, you've got a great memory, Mark. It was December 29th, 2021, 4793.06. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And we're at 4790.5. Oh. So we're three points. I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to get it. Here's the interesting thing, though. Uh, do you know what the 10-year treasury yield was back? And I 
John now knows, he obviously he knows he could pull these data up instantly, but uh, what the 10-year treasury yield was when the stock market was at its record high? Let's give me two seconds. Okay, I thought so. I can. <laughs> I think it was like one and a half percent, something like that. On that day, what did I tell you? It was the 21st? I think you said 29th, 20, didn't you? Uh, 29th. The yeah. ten year was oh gosh, one fifty. Yeah, right. It's uh, pretty amazing, yeah, and I right think one and a half. Yeah, so we're it's a hell of know, a run. just under four. <laughs> it was one and a half. Right. In are we going back to one and a half, Mark? Or are we are we going to stay a little closer to? I think four, but I, I I guess my point is, valuations certainly have gone up, right? Because uh, you know, uh, well. Valuate the other thing I'd say is corporate earnings have been flat. So valuations, I think the uh, this is the way to phrase it. Uh, valuations are still about the same as they were two years ago, but interest rates are me measurably higher than they were two years ago, which suggests that the market is at least an aggregate overvalued. More, we're certainly more overvalued than it was two years ago. Does that does that sound right? Did I say that right? So, you know, stock prices are the same, corporate earnings are the same, so the PE multiple is the same, but interest rates are up a lot. So that suggests that the market feels more vulnerable than it did two years ago. But somehow it doesn't feel that way to me, right? It doesn't feel that way. I'm not sure. Well, you've yeah. been a glass half full kind of guy for most of yeah. the year, though. No, that's you, probably you've what not, it is. <laughs> you've not seen the calamity that everybody else has. Um, again, I have to give you kudos. You, you've had a hell of a 23. Most of your uh, forecasts have been more on than off. Um, Chris, to, are you listening to this, my friend? I think you, I you, think you need to take yeah, a yeah, bit of yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> it's well-deserved. Uh, uh, no, and, I, it, I appreciate that, John. You're very kind. I, I think it's a little... Premature. I think the day the Fed cuts interest rates, then I think it's time to say full throated. I told and you so. When when is that, Mark? When is that first cut? I think it's probably Mayish. That would be my sense of it. I mean, I think they wait. They the Fed waits until it's clear inflation's going back to target. It doesn't have to be a target, but is clearly headed back to target. No questions that it is, and that probably will take a few months in, into 2024 before that happens. But I, I don't know. I wouldn't debate anyone if they said March or they said June. I I'm not, I wouldn't debate too hard. You, what did you say, John? You said, Did you say- The, the market May? has a 104% possibility of, of, of a cut by then. Um, and and right? it's okay. somewhere between 85% for the March meeting, 104% for the, the May meeting, and then another cut come the the June 12th meeting. I'm probably more in that June 12th camp than I am in June, that May or June. March. Yeah. I, I, just, I don't think I'd argue. I think to your credit, the, the economy has surprised everybody. It's it's held pretty strong. I think Powell has been very transparent in his wishes to uh, kind of work through this and, and be very data-driven and data-dependent. It's, it's constantly surprised me over the course of the year how people can be confused by that message and it kind of gets mm. higher for longer. Uh, I mean, I think mm. if we have six or seven cuts, that's a, that's a very recessionary signal. He's doing that because he feels yeah. like he needs to stimulate the economy. I think yeah. two or three cuts over the course of the year is just kind of <laughs> taking the a little bit of the pressure off and kind of easing us into what we, I think we all hope for is some sort of a soft landing. 
Yeah. You think the yeah. election has plays any role in front loading some of the cuts here? Were they that's that's certainly a narrative that uh, <laughs> the Fed is politically uh, influenced on election years. Um, I, you well, know, by I, trying I, not to be politically influenced, they by cutting early. Take I mean, actions. That's, that that's an interesting concept. Yeah. Could, yeah, getting out of the way in October and November. I, like I could that. I could see that. Okay. Okay. That's a nice way to frame I it. I, I I really don't want to get in the middle of this political battle, so I just get this out done early. Yeah, get it done early. Uh, yeah, interesting. Which, by the way, Mark, uh, you and Ed Mills from the Raymond James team had a little a wonderful, healthy debate back in October of 2020. Uh, if that's something we can resuscitate for 2024 as we get closer to the election, I think Ed and, and oh, Ray J we were to have that in conversation discussion. Election? No, well, forecasts for the election. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, What we thought the yeah. potential outcomes might be. Have you dusted that model off yet? Or oh, it's or interesting no? you ask. Yeah, we're we you've dusted it off. We're working on it right now, and I think yeah. we just um, uh, settled on a date in January for the. Um, for the webinar. So yeah, that, that, I'd like to team up with that again and let's yeah. do it. Let's plan let's on that, that for sure. Out. I think that would be a good yeah. one. So let's, uh, let's uh, turn back. Uh, and uh, just, I, again, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you're under the weather, but I do want to talk a little bit about the product lines and how things are going, get a little bit more granular uh, and maybe the way to do this. And maybe I, I did this last time. I can't remember, but uh, maybe we pick the product line you feel most concerned about uh, in terms of what's going on with credit growth and credit quality. And then we'll come back and talk about the product line you feel best about, most comfortable with. Does that sound like a good game plan? Sounds like a plan. Okay. So let's go with uh, what's worrying you the most, you know, right now, when you look across the kind of the panoply of different product lines that you're trading in, which which product line is kind of at the top of your uh, list of concerns? And this one's a bit of a layup. I mean, commercial real estate's okay. been in the box, right? Um, I agree with Chris's earlier comments. It, it's really hard to triangulate a valuation right now. We don't even use the word loan to value anymore. It, it's, it remains all about cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. So I think as, as you have seen those handful of strategic sellers for densely urban office complexes that vacancies are skyrocketing and cash flows are plummeting, those are the ones that are kind of in the box. And I think we now kind of have a playbook for that. Um, if you've followed bank earnings over the last quarter, third quarter results, um, you'll see the narrative. You'll see that the commercial real estate book is highlighted it's shown as what percentage of the commercial real estate book is of the total loan book. It will then drill into the commercial real estate portfolio and say what percentage of that commercial real estate portfolio is office compared to the other product types. And then the, the last slide will be our provisions against not only the office portion of the book, but the totality of the commercial book is four times that of, uh, of, our, of our assets and we're good, we're fine. And we're not growing it. Uh, and if anything, we're looking to shrink it. And when we do look to shrink it, we we circle it with a capital raise. We circle it with a sale lease back, with a sale of an insurance portion of the institution, uh, with some sort of recapitalization transaction to say, boom, I'm out of my problem assets. I'm going into 24. I've solved my problems. I've helped my NIM compression with these legacy terrible assets. And I'm clean and I'm going forward. So I think those conversations that are all a result of SVB, 
uh, and and problems from earlier in the year, we now have a very fully fleshed out plan on how you deal with those particular assets. And we'll okay, start so to I, see I, a lot I, more price discovery in 24. So I find that, so if that's the worst of it, that feels pretty encouraging, right? Because what you're saying is we're going to have problems, but we know we're going to have problems and we got a playbook for dealing with the problems. That, that's what you just said. Okay. Yeah. I mean, SVB, what we, what we learned on that was you don't sell the asset, announce the capital raise and then yeah, do the capital right. raise. You, you right. know, oops, you never get to the, you know, the completion of the process. Now it's all boom, one big thing together, buyer, seller, identified solution brought to the table, investment banking to the rescue transaction accomplished the restructuring trade as we've called it uh for the really caught fire in q4 and q3 right uh and this whole doom loop cre doom loop that people worry about that you know we get into this kind of self-reinforcing vicious cycle where uh develop uh, owners have to sell properties at discounts uh it, uh it causes prices to fall further it causes more delinquency default more sale distressed sales and you can kind of Get into this uh, this slide down in prices and increase in delinquency and default, which uh, could undermine the banking system. That just feels. What is that? What kind of probability do you attach to that kind of very dark scenario? It's low, and again, low. the economy has surprised us. Um, yeah, you know, we as so long as that unemployment rate holds, which it's been doggedly resilient throughout all of this. I don't see the doom loop coming to be. There will be losses still. There will be strategic sellers still, but it, it won't be a, a 2008 type, what happened to residential mortgages kind of collapse. It, it'll be strategic selling, organized selling, but it won't be the doom loop that we're that we're looking at. Yeah, I thought you might, when I asked you what worries you the most, what uh, loan product worries you the most. You're going to say something around consumer lending, you know, uh, auto yeah. or maybe bank card. Or are, are those matters of concern? They are, uh, and we've been talking about the normalization of credit for a while, and we do and are seeing problems with uh, subprime auto. We are and seeing problems with subprime card. Um, with with certain kind of um, fintech. Uh, or personal lending, unsecured lending, I should say. On the bottom end of credit, on the lower end of, of younger borrowers, I should say, those that didn't quite have the savings. Um, I am curious your thoughts. I, I, I think all of the reserves that we built during COVID probably expire in 2024. We've been trying to guess when those dollars ultimately get spent. Oh, you mean the excess saving built excess up? Excess savings. Yeah, right. right. Mm -hmm. So I think yep. we're kind of through our cushions and our buffers. Um, so I do think the the bottom end of credit uh, for consumer lending uh, will get worse in 24. I think that's a fair statement. Hmm. Chris, anything to add there? I'd agree that it gets worse, um, but I think that I think there is quite a bit of buffer still for the top half of the households, right? So, yeah. bottom half probably are through their pandemic savings, but they have some income build now, so that's that's helpful. Uh, but there's still still quite a bit out there if you think about the the upper half uh, of the distribution, so that might provide some cushion. Uh, going forward here. But I agree that delinquency rates certainly likely to continue upward here until things settle out, but I don't see a calamity on the horizon. What worries me about cards, Mark, if you look back at 2008, card balances were dropping 
if we were, if we are in a recession, which I'm not saying we are, but if we were in, you know, the doom loop, if you will, card balance are still going up. Utilization ratios still going up in cards. So if we're adding on more debt at the same time where savings are starting to struggle, that's a, it's a bad combination. Um, mm. You know, and that, that, you know, worries me now, if we do get that drop in rates, uh, that should help. Um, it should take a little bit of that pressure off because credit card uh, coupons are, are quite high right now. And tied um, to but, what the Fed's doing. As soon as the right, right, I mean, once the as Fed cuts, cuts start to come in again, the, yeah. we talked about it in May. The, the Powell can always come to the rescue with rate cuts. He can fix a lot of the consumers' problems by just dropping right. rates down. He can fix a lot of banking's problems by dropping rates down. His job right. has been to to kill inflation first. Yeah, one thing we've noticed: we get the credit file data from Equifax and. It's comprehensive and timely. I think we have data through November. <clears throat> we look at the on bank cards, and uh, we look. We've been looking at the uh, delinquency rate uh, for loans originated uh, at the start of this year. So, eleven months into the year, what is the delinquency rate? And compare that to uh, the delinquency rate on loans originated in the, in the early 2022, 11 months in 2021, uh, eleven months in. Same point in their kind of life cycle. Vintage analysis, right? Yeah, vintage analysis. Uh, and uh, thank you for that. That made it a lot easier. To, to, it's vintage analysis. Here for you, Mark. Here for you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I said it with about 10,000 words. Chat GPT could have cut that down to vintage analysis. Uh, thank you. Uh, it We are starting to see some improvement. I mean, maybe it's just my half glass full, you know, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but we are starting to see delinquency rates that are, they're still elevated compared to, uh, what it was pre-pandemic, but they are you now starting to come in compared to what they were in 2022, maybe even 2021. So s- some signs of of hope there, uh, but uh, early days. Okay. Um, okay. So what are you least worried about? I, I think mortgages are the winner this time around. Yeah. Um, Resi just in a wonderful spot. Um, maybe a little worried about those borrowers who put loans on back in, you know, 22, right before rates kind of started their their climb. But uh, one of my other numbers, one of my reserve numbers for our, our quiz today was the, the today's mortgage rate of the 661, according to Freddie. Hmm. Um, and, and that's down from you know almost 8% just a handful of weeks ago. So um, it, you're not going to get to see the 3.5% rates that we got back in the day, but at 6.5%, I think that does a couple of things for us. It brings some of those sellers off the sideline, those people who have been loan locked that do need to make a life change, that do need to move. Uh, it, it should free up some of those existing home sales. More construction and units come online. Um, I think that is is a, is a tailwind uh, for the housing industry. I don't think we see 20 to 25% home value growth Coming forward, I think if anything, we have a bit of an affordability problem. A bit mm. is an overstatement yeah, right now, right. understatement, I should say. But um, <laughs> I, I just, we're the, the economy has been so supported by just very, very low fixed rate, three percent coupon, legacy old loans. It's allowing the consumer to really kind of live beyond their means in other places. And uh, you mentioned home equity lines of credit, HELOCs. Uh, they had a very active year. I, presumably that's because people couldn't take cash out via refinance or sit, they, sit, they can't sell their home and take out cash. So they turned to their HELOCs. <clears throat> Any concern there? Or is it just that there's just so much built up equity in these homes? No big deal. No, well, I mean, I, I mean, 
depends how you look at it. I think HELOCs probably had their best year they're going to have this year. Um, mm-hmm. And I think next year, if rates are down and people do start to do cash out refis again, that'll steal some of the HELOC thunder mm-hmm. uh, that we've enjoyed. I mean, HELOCs were largely used not as a piggy bank, not as a 2008 kind of event where people were sucking cash to stay and, and make their payments. We really saw it as there wasn't enough inventory and housing out there. They had tremendous equity in. They didn't want to give up their 3% 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And so they went to a $75,000 HELOC on a second at prime plus one. Uh, and that payment didn't crush them, uh, but did allow them to spruce up the house that they were currently in. They weren't using it for speculation. They weren't using it for any mm-hmm. of the knuckleheaded stuff that we were seeing back in, in 2006 and the run up to 2008. So mm-hmm. I, I think if rates do fall, if we continue to see them drop, that'll take a little bit away from the origination joy that loan officers have been experiencing on HELOCs, where we've finally seen uh, HELOC originations rise for the first time in a decade. Yeah. Okay, last uh, loan product, CNI, commercial industrial. There have been some concern that particularly small businesses would be struggling here, and they're and they're you know obviously uh, uh, consumers of CNI loans to drive their business. Uh, any are you you know there we have seen some. If there's one place where loan growth has gone gone uh, kind of soft, it's CNI lending. Uh, are, are you noticing anything? Uh, any credit problems developing there per se, or anything to to, to call out? The, the good news on CNI is it's incredibly short. Um, so whatever problems you have should be right. relatively brief. Uh, and, and it's actually an asset on on our side that we we trade, but we very rarely trade because it's often the most sought after paper for someone to have because it's very short. Um, so uh, again, it, it's it's not. I don't have the same worries that I have in the office sector of commercial real estate. Yeah. There'll be some short-term pain, I'm sure, for certain businesses that are caught, you know, wrong-footed, particularly if the economy weakens. But uh, but no, CNI is not one of the ones that's really on my radar. Okay, so I don't want to put words in your mouth or project, but I'm just getting this positive vibe from you. Is that fair? I mean, it feels. You're not effusive, but you're not feeling well. So, you know. So. Yeah, you know, you're you're really good at pulling the positive out of me, Mark. I mean, generally speaking, a lot of folks would say, "John, you know, God, get him off the get him off the phone. Really? He's too oh, negative." Okay. Um, yeah. But I, I find that I'm just nodding my head as you lull me into this sense of security, and I need Chris to kind of drag me out of the trance with uh, some some cold water on these conversations. But I mean, generally speaking, uh, I've yeah, I, I, we're, okay. we're, I don't see. I don't see the cliff. I don't see the crash. Um, and, and I'm not saying everything's rosy. There are pockets of pain that are out there, but by and large, 2023 was a far better year than I think most of us expected. And I think that carries into 24. Great. Good. Good. Chris, anything? Uh, I mean, I kind of led the witness there a little bit, but uh, uh, Snake any, any, yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, any open-ended question because we're kind of at the end of uh, of time, uh, but just anything you want to bring up or anything we missed? No, let's end the year on a, a positive note here. So, yeah, okay, I'm all for it on a positive note. Hey, John, I really want to thank you for taking the time. And again, I know you're not feeling well, but uh, 
Really appreciate you. Are you actually at work? Do I, I see you? I am. Brandon. Yeah. I, so I, I wasn't home uh, the first three days of the week, but I did come in today. Uh, just have the the more studio set up here in the office. So oh, a bit more I'm sorry to drag you in. No, no, not at all. I mean, if you go outside of the trading floor, which is right out there, you'll find that it's yeah. most of the team is, is working remotely today as to not get the plague and um, dodge whatever this <laughs> bug is that's working its way through Memphis right now. I would love to say, as as I have many times on the webinars that we've been able to do with you, thank you to Moody's, Mark. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Um, you know, we've we've enjoyed the relationship with you guys and glad to get to do these. Glad to get to do them in person. Chris, thank you for coming to Nashville this year for our conference. Uh, it is a tremendous relationship. We are very appreciative of, of everything you'll do for us. Well, right back at you. Really yeah. enjoyed it. And you're always, you're great. I really enjoyed ch- chatting with you. Always learn a lot and appreciate it, particularly when you agree with me. You know, it's all good. So absolutely. <laughs> no, only joking, only joking. Uh, but uh, with that, Happy New Year uh, to you too, Chris. Happy New Year. Happy and, New Year. Uh, Thank you, John. Our, happy New Year. To our listeners out there, uh, Happy New Year. Take care now. Bye bye. <laughs>